Hallelujah. It's, it's a great honor to be here. And uh, we, like I said, we've, we've known Pastor Pam and Pastor Chris for a number of years uh, when I had black hair and he had hair. And uh, we fooled around and got older together. Hallelujah. We didn't have grandkids then. That's a funny thing these days. I was telling them last night I'm preaching for guys that were not even born yet when I started preaching for their daddies. And I have several young pastors that I preach for that were pastor sons, and I'm glad I paid attention to them when they were little because now they call me Pop Sally. Really. So I'm one of the, amen. I'm going to get right in the Word this morning, though. I know it's Sunday morning, and uh, I know there's not so much of a limit, but there is a little bit. So I'm going to open to Luke, the 10th chapter this morning. Uh, this is for me the last Sunday I will travel this year. I'm usually, actually, I came off a of vacation to come here this morning. Because usually from Thanksgiving on, I go to my cabin and you cannot find me. I'm usually hunting white-tailed deer. And uh, I'm finding them this year. I had some, I posted a picture on Facebook and I got some hate mail about it. So I guess I have to quit posting pictures of animals I've killed. I love animals. I just love them fried, cooked, broiled. Stewed. No, I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. Luke 10. Before I get thrown out, right? Verse 25. Luke the 10th chapter, verse 25 says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength with all your mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jericho to, or from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to new life where Pam and Chris Mays were the pastor, <laughs> dropped him off and said, take care of him. Hallelujah. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to Pam and Chris and said, whatever it costs to make him better. Come on, somebody. Not just Pam and Chris, but the whole team here at New Life. Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more when I come, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Now let me just unpack this for a little bit this morning. This was a certain lawyer that came to Jesus. When we think about lawyers, we think probably in terms of secular lawyers like we would have today in the American justice system. But these guys were professionals at the law of Moses. They knew the ins and outs and the legal loopholes of the law of Moses because how many know by the time Jesus came on the scene these religious dudes had made it somewhat manageable to make themselves look good and everybody else look bad 
And this lawyer is coming to Jesus. So let me just say a few statements that I think, you know, I don't think would be so shocking here, but would be some places. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the New Testament, but they are still in the Old Covenant. I don't know if you ever considered that when you are reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason they are for the most part is because the sacrifice of Jesus had not yet been given. And how many know part of our redemption is not just from sin. That's part of the package. How many of we are redeemed from the curse of the law? Come on. How many of he was made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons? Hallelujah. And so, you know, this lawyer is asking Jesus, what do I have to do? And there are several occasions where he's asking him these questions. What must I do to inherit? There are several, uh, several different people who would ask Jesus this. And so if you're living under an old covenant paradigm, and you're asking him, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? First of all, that's kind of a, an oxymoron to me. Because what happens is, is how many know you don't do anything to inherit Somebody dies and leaves you something. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, somebody died and left you something. Touch another neighbor and say, you've never read your copy of the will, so you don't know what you have coming. Come on, wave your Bible at me for a minute. I said, some of you have never read your copy of the will. Now, the scripture tells us this. It says that, you know, that God, how many know that the testament, a testament is a will. I won't go into a lot of details chasing every rabbit this morning, but how many know the old covenant was the Old Testament and the New Testament is because this God had a son. That son was such an incredible businessman that father got richer and he had so much fun with his first son. He said, I think I'm just going to bring many sons into glory. So he revised the bill and wrote you in the will. How many glad for the New Testament? I said, how many glad for the New Testament? You have an inheritance. And so the, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this. It says, but without the death of the testator, the will is not effective. So he came and wrapped himself in human flesh and died so you could get what's in the will. Now that's pretty incredible. But what's even more incredible than that, because this has never happened in human history. The writer of the book of Hebrews said he got back off from the dead to be the administrator of his own will to make sure you get what he said you could have. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. That's a pretty good deal right there. He's administrator of his own will, so we get what he said we could have. Now, how many know inheritance, again, is not something you earn. It's something that somebody leaves you. And so he's, you know, a matter of fact, the whole book of Galatians, words that will open the book of Galatians to your words like promise, inheritance, and receive, not achieve, but receive. Because under the old covenant, how many know you had to do in order to get? And in the new covenant, we get and then we do. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And so, you know, uh, you know, most of the gospel, or what we call the gospel, is we are teaching people uh, that, you know, we are, we are preparing people to die rather than preparing them to live in their inheritance right now. And, you know, Pastor Chris was saying some things last night when we were just talking in our fellowship, actually right along the same line of what I've been preaching, but he said something that kind of stuck with me, and I'm going to use it, so I'm going to give him credit one more one time, and then the Holy Spirit gave it to me. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he was saying, you get your inheritance, you, you get your inheritance, not when you die. You get your inheritance when somebody else dies. Now stay with me a minute. 
Most of what we preach in American churches this morning will be to prepare people how to die rather than to prepare people how to live in the kingdom. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, synonymous terms in, in the four gospels. And when we start talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, most people's mindset goes, he's talking about when I die, I get to go to heaven. But that's really, when you start reading the parables of the kingdom and Jesus teaching on the kingdom, he is not talking about that world stuff. He's talking about this world stuff. Stuff like stewardship. Stuff like sowing and reaping. Stuff like faithfulness. Stuff like helping others. In other words, he's teaching them how to get what's happening there to operate here. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now I'm going to say some things about this scripture that might be a little revolutionary to some of you. But this guy, this lawyer is asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now say this with me. So I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying this. So say this with me. He believes that eternal life includes going to heaven when you die. We got that settled? So I'm not doing away with that. Are we good? But see, one of the, this, 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 there was, there's a writer that I read some, and he read from a translation, and I began to do some research. And he read from a translation that read a little different here. When, this, when we see this word eternal, it's really not talking about a length of time as much as it's talking about a quality of life. And it is the Greek word aeonian, or that which has to do with the age. And this writer read a translation, I think Young's literal literally translates like this, and he said, what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? Now that got real quiet when I said that. Now he was including going to heaven, but in the mind of this first century Jew, who's standing there asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit not just heaven. He's not thinking about heaven and dying. He's thinking, what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? Because these guys knew that they were standing at a pivotal point in human history where an age was coming to an end called the Mosaic System or the Old Covenant Age was coming to an end and there was the birthing of a New Covenant Age or the present reality of the kingdom. How many know Jesus is not going to reign someday? He's already reigning right now. He's not going to be Lord. He's already Lord. I mean, he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, all of everybody has not subjected themselves to him, but he must reign till every enemy becomes his footstool. How I many we're a part of the ongoing, come on, increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. This Christmas season, we ought to shout hallelujah because his message was peace on earth goodwill towards men. Behold, I bring you good tidings, a great joy, which shall be to all people. For under you is born this day in the city of David. You know, you know the story of Christmas, but he is talking about a kingdom that's coming. That was a shift for me. Because when I begin to think, he's thinking not in terms of, okay, what do I got to do to, you know, maybe when I make it, he's, he's thinking everything's about the shift here. Let me, let me come back and say a few other things here. It's 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and I'm going to turn to all these verses. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, audience relevance is everything. If I wrote a letter to the church at New Life, and I wrote to Pastor Chris, and I said this letter is to the church at New Life, how many know that first of all, the letter I write is going to have relevance to you? 
Now, if somebody finds it 2,000 years from now, there may be some stuff I wrote in there that's going to help them. But the audience he's talking to, first of all, has to really be considered. For instance, when we, when we read the book of Revelation and it's written to seven churches that are in Asia, that was really seven churches that were in Asia. So this book is going to have some relevance to that first century church. But here's one of the things that really caught my attention. He writes to them in the first Corinthians chapter 10. He said, everything that happened to them, the children of Israel, he said, everything that happened to the children of Israel under Moses happened to them as examples for us upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages, plural, have come. He said to the first century church at Corinth, we're the people, not us, them. We're the people upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now think about this a minute. So I thought, the ends of the ages. So if I had a chalkboard this morning, the way I would explain this is I would draw a big circle and I would say this circle right here is the old covenant age where what was predominant government was the government of Moses and the law. And then I would draw another circle right here that would overlap the first one for just a little bit. And I would say, this is the new covenant age. Can you picture that in your mind? And they just overlap a little bit. So right here where the old covenant and the new covenant merge in this circle, I would call the ends of the ages. It was the back end of the old covenant age and the front end of the new covenant age. Can you see that? So they were at the ends of the ages, and so this guy is knowing something is about to shift, and he's really asking, not what I need to do to go to heaven, he's asking him, what does life in this new covenant age look like? How many know that's kind of a little bit of a, a mystery to some folks? How many know that he came to give us life and that more abundantly? He didn't come just to give us a ticket to heaven. We, have, we read into texts. A lot of times, stuff that's not there, we read where he's talking about giving you life, but he, he came to give me a ticket to heaven. I'm not taking anything from heaven. I'm just trying to say a whole lot of folks are missing a whole lot of stuff right now of an abundant life that God wants to give you right now on the planet. And the whole story of this Samaritan is whatever it costs to make you better, to give you the quality of life that I came that you could have because the life is what becomes the light. I want to give you the best life on the planet. Not just when you die after you've lived in, you know, religion will, 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 will literally be a thief to you. And I, I, I submit to you that this guy who was left bleeding and dying along the Jericho Road has been left a victim of religious thieves and robbers who've left him bleeding and dying and life not coming into him, but life running out of him. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit. I grew up in classical Pentecost under what I call terrorist preachers. And it didn't give me life, it took my life. Until I finally got to the place, I thought, I love this God, but he evidently don't like me, so I'm probably going to go to hell, and since I am, at least I'm going to enjoy the ride. Come on, somebody. And I walked away from what I thought was God, but really what I was doing was walking away from the thieves of religion that had left me bleeding to death, dying on a Jericho road. And when you come to a religious system to try to get some help, a Levite would cross the road on the other side, and a priest would cross the road on the other side because they can point out to a problem, but they don't have any answers or solution for what it takes to make you better. See, I've started seeing God in a whole different light as he's not out to get me. He's out to heal me. He's out to give me the best life on the planet. 
And you know, some of the things that I, you know, I tell, I tell folks sometimes, you know, I, I can remember my mom testifying one time and she came in and you know, at that time we were a part really legalistic Pentecost and I appreciate my Pentecostal roots and I'm not putting anything down. It's the best we knew at the time. But, you know, uh, my mom came in, she, she t- I tell people my mom had a PhD. You say, what's that? It's a Pentecostal hairdo. <laughs> it's either a top knot or a beehive. And when the Holy Ghost would hit her, she'd get a jerk on her and bobby pins be flying everywhere. But she came in for a service one, one day and testimony. We had a lot of testimony services back then. She said, I ran into a saint of God today at the food line. Mm. She's got that little shake on it. Oh, how, mm, Sunday. She said, I knew she was a saint of God because of the glow on her face. And I'm thinking, Mom, you didn't know her because she had a glow on her face. You knew her because she was dressed like you. That's not a glow. That's a shine from no makeup. You put a little makeup on it, that shine goes away. Matter of fact, sometimes when you do TV, they put makeup on you. Now, I, I don't do it on my own uh, channel, on my own television program, because it's my channel and I don't like to wear makeup. <laughs> but when I was on Daystar, we were guests on Marcus Lamb's program. They took us in the makeup room and were putting makeup on me. My son, who's the producer for our program, went in the makeup room with me. And they're putting makeup on me. And so they leave the room for the show my son how to do it. And so they leave the room for a moment and my son said, this was always my dream to grow up and put makeup on my dad. <laughs> But they do it to keep the lights from shining on you. And, but what I'm saying is, my, you know, my mom thought, boy, this is, you know, what a testimony this woman was because she looked like she fell off the back of the truck of the Beverly Hillbillies. And she, we thought that was holy and what a testimony her life was. Now, my mom thought that, but everybody else in the grocery store is like, you mean your God makes you look like that? Come on. I don't know how much to say about this because they're not too far from here. I, I go to this Amish. I go to these Amish guys. These Amish guys started watching me on YouTube in the barn. They can't have electric in the house, but they can have it in the barn. And they started watching me on YouTube, and they started getting set free. They started listening to what I was preaching about the gospel. They were driving horse and buggies a couple of years ago. Now they're driving cars and dressing, wearing makeup. One of them bought himself a jet. Went from a horse and buggy to a jet. I'm like, are you free to travel? But man, they started getting set free. Now they could, you know, they couldn't have electric in the house, but they could have it in the barn. They couldn't own a tractor, but they can buy you an eighty thousand dollar tractor and use it anytime they want. It's, you know, it's kind of like legal loopholes in there. But I was sitting on the porch with the ladies after the first year. They called me and asked me if I would come and preach for them. I said, I don't know if I'm your cup of tea. They said, We've been watching you on on YouTube. We want, you know, we know what you're about. Well, they started getting set free, and the the ladies were sitting on the porch. It was Mother's Day. And I'm sitting on the porch with them. And these ladies look at me and said, we could almost build a statue to you. <laughs> it's all we could do to keep from worshiping you. You saved our lives. I mean, they were dressing better. Their marriages are better. You know, and they all of a sudden, they begin to give them back their life. What I'm saying is the quality of life that we have is what becomes the light to the world. We should have the best life on the planet. Because I believe with everything that's in me that I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to high-five me and say, I had a hoot living in your body. He came to give us a life and that more abundantly. So the life of the coming age 
was more than just a ticket to heaven. While it included that, it was a quality of life that exists while we are presently here. And Jesus said this, let me, he said, let me just define for you what eternal life is. He said, this is life eternal, that you might know the Father and the Son. So what he's saying is the life of the new age that's coming, I'm not talking new age stuff, but I'm talking about in the context of what they were saying, the life of the coming age was a life lived in context of being a son of the living God and not a servant or a slave under the law. How many know under the law you were a servant of God in the new covenant were sons and if we're sons we're heirs and how many know that inheriting the kingdom is not just when I die I get to go there. As a matter of fact in the behavior text I'm trying to pack five days of teaching in the... Galatians 5 says this he said for the works of the flesh are made manifest, which are these. Hatred, malice, industry. He starts down through this whole list of stuff. And he says, I have, as I have told you before, and I'm going to tell you again, that they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom. He didn't say they which do such things will not go to heaven. He said they which do such things are not inheriting the kingdom. In other words, these behaviors are enemies of kingdom life not when you die they are the enemies of life that are stealing your life right now your righteousness your peace and your joy because the kingdom of god is not meat and drink it's righteousness it's peace it's joy in the holy ghost and that's what produces the kingdom in your life right now because what we usually do is we pick the big three of those things and some of the behavior texts and we talk about fornications and adulteries and some of these other things and we're like boy they that do such things are not going to heaven well, I'm not, in, I'm not endorsing that lifestyle, but hear what I'm saying to me. In that same list, see, because if we can keep the heat on the guys that are doing the big three, we don't ever get to the hatred, the malice, the envy, the strife, the divisions, the emulations, the, the stuff you see in every church. So if you read those list of behavior stuff, somewhere in that list you're going to find yourself. So if he's saying they that do such things are not going to go to heaven, survey says ain't many people in this room. Go make it. See, y'all don't want to help me preach here. Now, am I saying it's all right? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying these are the things that are enemies of the kingdom in your life right now. They're the things that are keeping you. If you will, you can see it like this. They're the giants in your land that need to be driven out. So you can fully possess the inheritance of the life that God wants for you to have. See, when we've got something more to offer people than a ticket to heaven, and again, I'm not taking anything from that. I'm thankful for that. But I'm telling you, most people wait till they're 80 or 90 years old to come to Jesus because religion is the thief that leaves them bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road, and they want to, for their last few breaths, I'm going to make it to heaven. I'm telling you, something's got to change and shift with the gospel that we preach that's going to give us the best life. Come on. Hallelujah. The best peace, the best joy, the best finances, the best kids, the best marriages on the planet because that's what becomes the light. Now see, let me just say this to you. This guy was left bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road by thieves. If you open your Bible quickly to John 10, I'm going to quote it so it don't take me a long time to do this. John 10 verse 1 said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that entereth not but the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Say this with me. Some other 
way. Say it again. Some other way. The same is a thief and a robber. But Jesus said, but I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And then he comes on down through there in several places. I'm the door. By me, if any man enter, he'll go, he'll go in and out and find pasture. My sheep know my voice, another they will not father, follow. I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And then John 10.10 10 says, For the thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. But I am come, not just so you get a ticket heaven, that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Deuteronomy 10 says, or yeah, I think it's Deuteronomy 10. I want to give you the days of heaven on earth. He told, I want to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. He created a paradise and puts man in the middle of a paradise. That was his intention. That's what he wants for you. Is the best life on the planet. Now when you read John 10, 10, everybody I've ever heard read John 10 will say the thief of John 10 is the devil. I disagree with that. The devil is never mentioned in John 10. If you read the whole text of John 10, the thief of John 10 is not the devil. The thief of John 10 is some other way. The same is a thief and a robber. And then Jesus says in the next verse, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't hear him. So it's anything that comes before him. So the thief of John 10, in the context of what he was saying here, was a religious system of an old covenant paradigm that could not produce life because even when this guy is asking Jesus, what must I do? Galatians 3 said, if there was a commandment which could have given life, then verily righteousness would have been by the law. So how many know that the end of the law is not life? It's death. That's why it's called the law of sin. And that's why Jesus had to come and die, is to redeem you. See, I don't know if we see sometimes that what left people bleeding and dying. I've I, I got to be careful because I'm a TV preacher too, and I don't want to get all my friends mad at me. But some of the breakthroughs these guys are trying to sell you is a breakthrough for the problem they created. They got you so full of guilt, condemnation, and fear, but for an offering of $32.33, if you'll send it right now during the Feast of Tabernacles, you can get your breakthrough. I'm trying to be nice to you guys, but that's, that to me is just a scam. You do not buy, come on somebody, a breakthrough. Jesus already bought one for you. You might need to shift the way you think, and you might need to learn that there's, come on, come on, hallelujah, but he already in the new covenant got you a breakthrough. And half the stuff we're dealing with is religion that has left us bleeding and dying and life running out of us. As a young man, I was ready to throw in the towel thing and I love God, but he does not love me evidently because I have been on this religious treadmill. And it's not giving me life, it is taking my life. It's taking my self-esteem, it's taking my value, it's stealing my dreams. 
But here comes Jesus on the scene to where a system couldn't help him. Come on, hallelujah. And some lawyer's trying to find a legal loophole to justify himself. And Jesus comes and finds people who've been hurt by a religious system. And he picks them up and brings them to a place like New Life where they're not going to preach law and legalism and rules. They're going to preach a relationship. They're going to talk about the gospel. It's not about a law you have to keep. It's about receiving a life that will keep you. And that God is interested in whatever it costs. Let me calm down. My granddaughter says, Pappy, you got to just calm down. He's saying whatever cost to make you better. I will pay for it. I think about even the term stuff like we've used, like strive to enter at the straight gate. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads not to heaven. Life. We got to read what the what the scripture actually says. And few there be that find it. Broad is the way. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in there. At. What that that's one chapter before Jesus said, "I'm the way." People say to me, "I need to get back on the straight and narrow." What they mean is, I need to get my act together. And I tell them, if you get your act together, it's just an act. God's not interested in actors. He's interested in authenticity. Real. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Not fake stuff. I'm telling you, he's looking for authentic life. And so when he says, like, straight is the gate and there is the way that leads to life, the way that led to life was him. In the first century, the other alternative was that they were trying to find life through the keeping of rules and regulations, and they thought the straight and narrow is rule-based religion. And he said, there's few that are really finding this, but the way to life is not through your performance. It's through a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with him who is the way, the truth, and the life to the Father that out of a father-son relationship you can embrace this life. I love this text and I wrote a book on, on from this text, this text in, in Matthew 11. He says, are, this is the latter part of Matthew 11. He said, are you tired? Just from the message Bible. Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. See how I do it. You'll recover your life. I will teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Walk with me. And I'll teach. And I've thrilled a many a crowd by preaching, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? And I'll still do that. But man, the emphasis shifted a little. And I started saying, man, he's just talking about, man, I'm just done with it. I'm in rebellion with it. I just don't want nothing to do with religion. He says, listen, walk with me. Work with me. Because a lot of people ran from religion, but they didn't run to a relationship with Jesus. And they end up shipwrecked. See, I'm not preaching a lawless lifestyle. I'm talking about when you walk with him, you work with him. He said in one chapter, he said, this is a unique father-son relationship. That, that, that the father has revealed to the son but I'm not going to keep it to myself I'm willing to go over it line by line with you I'm going to teach you if you walk with me you'll work with me you will recover your life you'll get your life back hallelujah this is good stuff I love preaching this You'll recover your life. See, one th- I, I, I tell you, man, I was thinking as we're coming, I'm about, I, ugh, about out of time here. Hallelujah. 
I'm thinking of the quality of life that the gospel has produced in people that I preach to. And, and, the, and the 40 years of ministry, especially the last 20 years, how what we've preached has given us back our life. My son said to me the other night, sitting on, well, not just to me, my son, we were sitting on his porch. His father-in-law also pastors, and we're great friends with him. And we were sitting on the porch one night, and he said, his father-in-law said, what do you think heaven's like? My son said, I think it's a lot like this. He said, I don't know what one more we could want. We love our parents. Our parents love us. You live across the street from your grandbabies. We get along. We enjoy each other. We hang out together. You understand where I'm coming from? See, I don't know what people are looking for. But I think about the quality of life the gospel has given to me. And if there was no life after this, I'd do this tomorrow. Because it's the best life on the planet. Hallelujah. And see, if you're not, see, even as they poured in oil and wine, it was dealing with stuff that, that comes from Zion. Because there's oil and wine in Zion. And Zion is a symbol of the new covenant was thinking even as I was looking at these texts in Leviticus 21 my sister just wrote a book on this called unblemished and in this book she writes about how in Leviticus 21 it says this it says if you have a flat nose you're disqualified from eating the bread of your God if you have a withered hand you're disqualified from offering the bread of your God if you've got a club foot you're disqualified if you have a hunchback you're disqualified. If you have a blinded eye, you're disqualified. If you have a running sore, you're disqualified. If you have broken stones, you're disqualified. If you're a dwarf, you're disqualified. And it's this whole list of stuff you're disqualified from. And I started thinking as I looked at this text in Leviticus 21 that everything that under the old covenant you were disqualified from is the exact things that Jesus heals in the new covenant. He finds a woman who's bowed over to the earth. She's a hunchback. And she's disqualified under the old covenant, but the real bread of God just walked up to her. Come on, I mean, they were talking about a loaf of bread, but he's the real bread that came down from heaven. And he walks up to this woman. Shout up in here. And he defaults to a covenant that preceded the law of Moses. He said, ought not this woman, who's a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this infirmity on the Sabbath day? And he said, stand upright. She was disqualified, but the bread of God just walked up to her and healed her. Come on, somebody. He finds a man by the name of blind Bartimaeus, and under the old covenant, he's disqualified. But see, Corinthians 3 says, for in the Message Bible, it says, for if the government of condemnation was glorious, how about this government of affirmation? So the old covenant tells you what's wrong with you and how disqualified you are and what a dirty, rotten scoundrel you are. And the new covenant tells you you're affirmed, you're accepted, you're received. Whatever it costs to make you better, I'll pay for it. Hallelujah. You're never disqualified. You're never rejected. Come on, somebody. You're accepted in the beloved. He finds a man with a withered hand that under the old covenant he is rejected. And on the Sabbath day, Jesus says, stretch forth your hands. He finds Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus cries out and taps into something. He calls him the son of David. He realized some prophetic stuff about there's a seed coming out of the loins of David that will forever sit on the throne. And while the religious dudes are saying, don't bother the master, Bart's going, 
have mercy on me, son of David. I know I'm disqualified under the old covenant, but I want to tap into the sure mercies of David. Somebody help me in here. Hallelujah. Amen. And so there are running sores. He heals the leper. He raises the dead. He opens the eyes of the blind. He heals the eunuchs. He, he touches. And I, I got down to the last one. I got to close here. And I started realizing what well, the dwarf, there was a dwarf here, disqualified if you're a dwarf. And then I realized, wait a minute, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. But the Lord, he wanted to see. Now he's the dude, is that one chapter prior to that. They are standing in the temple going, I thank God I'm not like that tax collector, that publican and that sinner. I thank God I'm not like that. I pay tithe of mint and I yada 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 you know he gives his credentials and Jesus said but the sinner goes beats his breast said have mercy on me he said which one of them do you think is going to go down to his house justified and then he comes down through the latter part of that same chapter and there's a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he said what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age eternal life and Jesus said well you got to keep the rules and he said I've done all that from my youth up he said well one, one thing thou lackest because under the law, there's always one thing you're coming short of. One thing thou lackest. See, under the law, see, the end of the law, Romans 3, there's none righteous, not even one. Nobody, not even the mediator of that covenant. Moses made it in by the works of the law. People want to fight about that to me all the time. I say, knock yourself out. How's that working for you? You know? Are we all right here this morning? But then he comes down to Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus climbed up in a sycamore tree because he just wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, he's disqualified under Leviticus 21. He's a, he's a dwarf. And he is a publican, a tax collector, and a sinner. But he just wants to see Jesus. He just wants to see who he is. So he climbs up in a sycamore tree. Now, the sycamore tree, if you look in your center column reference or in Strong's Concordance, is an inferior fig tree. That's significant. Because the fig tree and the fig leaves is what Adam used to cover his nakedness in the Garden of Eden. It's man's self-help religion that can only put up a front. Just don't ever turn around. Or hope the sun never comes out and makes the leaves crispy on your apron. That's what's happening in this day. Is the sun has come out and the leaves of the religious apron are getting crispy. And God is revealing that foolishness for what it is. But in the midst of it, I prophesy to you that authentic hunger for real relationship with Father God is going to emerge. It's going to lift people's lives out of the realms of bleeding and dying and into the areas of life. Because when Jesus comes to him, he says what I want to say to all the world. And I'm screaming it loud on television. Come down out of that tree. There's a whole other tree. Come on, that redeems you from that tree of self-help religion. Come down out of that tree of religious apron putting up a good front. And Jesus said, I must abide at your house today. Come on, stand on your feet. I'm getting ready to close here. I must abide at your house today. Jesus never asked Zacchaeus to do anything. The chapter before that, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do? He said, keep the rules basically. And he said, I've done all that. He said, then sell all you have to give to the poor. And this dude goes away sorrowful 
because he was very rich. Couldn't give up a penny under law. But he goes to Zacchaeus' house and he don't ask Zacchaeus for nothing. He just goes and hangs out with him. I love that. Everybody else is going, this man has gone to be cast with a man who is a sinner. He's the dude we were pointing at in the temple and Jesus went to his house. That's just like Jesus. I think you'd find his donkey tied at a lot of unusual places today. Hallelujah. And when he gets having dinner with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus says, Lord, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. Now see, Jesus didn't ask him to do that. But when Jesus moved in, he said, I'm just going to give half my good support. Now, the guy under law can't give up a penny. But the guy under grace becomes very generous. Because something happened in his heart, see? Come on, somebody. See, I really believe in God to touch people's hearts, even as it comes to in the area of giving. Because when you start to understand some things under the new covenant, you, don't, you can't manipulate people out of money anymore with fear and curses and everything else. That's just not biblical. I'm sorry. But I will say this, and I have to cut through all the whole doctrinal fact and all the fight about giving and not giving. Here's the bottom line. What you don't support goes away. I don't care if it's a baseball team, a PTA, or your local church. But I think when your heart gets touched, you'll start to pour out of giving in a whole lot of ways. And Zacchaeus gives half his good. And he said, if, I have, if I've done anybody wrong, I'm going to restore fourfold. Jesus didn't ask him to do that. What happened? Something happened in his heart. He was not doing an order to be. But once he got a hold of this, there was an outflow of a change that had taken place in his heart. See, I'm convinced this is a heart issue. You know what? I thought, you know, I know I'm just a little bit lengthy here this morning. My brother deals with uh, a thing called life or drugs in our town. We're involved in several uh, outreaches that deal with drug abuse and some of that. It is a national nightmare right now. This opiate addiction is a national nightmare. And not just that, but other issues. But I, I got to tell you, man, what I believe he does with some of that, I, I've said just last, the last meeting I did was on a Friday night of an outreach where they are, it was a, a rehab center. And I said, whatever cost to make you better. He's willing to pay the price. He finds you. But if it's not just that addiction, it may be some other kind of thing. It may be some other area of your life that you're struggling with. See, what I'm preaching this morning is not just to say, you know, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever it will be, just go do your thing. And it's okay. No, all of that leads, you know, in other words, there are activities that will lead you to shipwreck. There are stuff that takes people's lives. And here's the bottom line. And here's a good litmus test. If it's not giving you life, maybe it's time to give it up. You see, but I, I, you know, see, here's the deal, man, especially with addiction. If you could give it up, you would have. So how many know what happens is, and we, we, we say this for addicts, but it happens on every level of life. We say to them, you need a higher power. And you can, you know, in some of the recovery programs, I say, well, you can have a Ford or a Chevy or your car or your kid or whatever as your higher power. But I've never seen a Ford or a Chevy deliver anybody from drugs. But I've seen Jesus do it. 
I started seeing things like everything that we deal with in our lives that are taking our lives. I've asked the Lord to help me in simple things that are maybe not necessarily sin issues, but health issues or life issues that say, I am powerless. Hello, my name is Lynn, and I am addicted to pie. There's only two kinds I like, hot and cold. Not just pie, you know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, man, I found out one of the fruits of the Spirit was actually self-control. Who'd have thunk it, you know? You don't have to eat the whole pie. What? No, I'm not addicted to white powder cocaine. I'm addicted to white powder sugar, you know. I mean, sometimes I'm just using simple examples. How I many though those are issues that are not heaven hell issues, but they're health issues that might be taking your life. And so I say, Lord, I need your help in some of these areas. How I many know you can ask him for help in every area of your life? Anger management, personality issues, all kinds of stuff. Because it's not that you're not going to heaven when you die. It's that you're missing the life of the kingdom right now. And this abundant life. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And whatever cost to make you better, he's willing to pay the price. Reach over, get somebody by the hand. I'm going to turn it back to Pastor Chris here in just a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's, you know, wherever you're at, you know, I think the song they were singing this morning was so appropriate because... It really deals with the fact that he's here and presently here to care about us. I think when you stop seeing God as this austere old man who can't wait to slap you upside the head and judge you, but even his judgments are with the intent of correcting you to life. In other words, you've got to think of God as a parent. He's not just out to beat people, kill people, torture people, but he will correct you to give you the best life. He loves you too much. To leave you hurt yourself and to hurt others. Can you hear that? And so he said, look, there, there are some things. And you know what? Sometimes we're not willing to give those things up. And they're like stuff I'm not willing to repent about yet. But you know what happens is they ultimately run out and they lead to crises or chaos. But chaos is the end of what's not working anymore. But it's also the beginning of where God starts to turn your life around. Because something brings you either the goodness of God will lead you to repent or... The repercussions of your actions lead you there. Hallelujah. And you know what? I think there comes a moment where we come and say, listen, these are areas I need some help in. So right now, just take that person's hand beside you. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to turn it back to Pastor Chris. Father, I thank you this morning that you found us bleeding and dying, life running out of us, Victims of thieves and robbers of every other way. But you came that we might have life. And you poured in the oil and the wine. And you said, whatever it cost to make them better, I paid the price. And if it cost anything more, I will pay that too when I come. So we received today because the bill's already paid. We thank you that you have brought us to an inn at new life. And in this place, there is oil and wine in Zion. So I pour in the oil and the wine today into the lives of your people. Hallelujah. To receive healing in our emotions, even as the Spirit of the Lord already spoke, 
through Pastor Chris, whether it is emotional, whether it is our minds, whether it is our bodies, whether it is our relationships, you're willing to pour in oil and wine to give us the best life on the planet. That life is the light that will attract men to come to the brightness of our rising. Not our legalistic, pious, religious activities that make us look like we're holy and they are not, but because the quality of our life is such a beacon that people say, I want that kind of a life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my earth today as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you, Pastor Chris. Come on.